Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get yourself a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash sweetstorybro. With over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, man, you're spoiled for choice with something to listen to. So I know what you're going to do as soon as this show has ended. You're going to head over to audibletrial.com slash sweetstorybro and pick yourself up something free today. Now hear this. The following podcast is likely to contain numerous instances of vulgarity or profanity, which some may deem inappropriate. If you're of an overly sensitive disposition, stop listening now. Additionally, the podcast will be filled with numerous spoilers throughout, so if you haven't had an opportunity to read, watch, or enjoy the story prior to this broadcast, please do so, before continuing with this episode of Sweet Story, Bro. Get ready for action! Hey yo, welcome to another episode of Sweet Story Bro, your favorite fix for geeky stories, letting you know whether they're actually worth your time or not, by me telling you whether they're officially too sweet, or if they're just not sweet enough, and just for those who are joining us for the first time ever, that doesn't mean that a story is bad, it just means that I personally didn't think it was officially too sweet, you know, so there's, there's still lots of good stuff to get out of them, I look at the good, I look at the bad, we look at the geeky things that we love to dissect and analyze, and then determine, hey, is it worth your time? But I just want to take a sec out to say thank you, as always, for downloading and listening to my little podcast, the podcast that could, the little podcast that could, man. Um, for everybody that ever gets in contact and lets me know what they think about the show and want to have a discussion over these geek stories, thank you so much for taking that 20, 30 seconds out of your day in order to do so. It really means the world to me. I've been going through a lot of stuff personally recently, so this has been a nice way to kind of escape into things, to, to look at these stories and dive into them a little bit more. And to have a conversation with you guys about it, it means the world. So thank you uh, for allowing me to distract myself a little bit with this. You know, it, it's a great project. I learn a lot doing it, which really helps with my writing because that is what I want to do. Nothing published as of yet, still submitting. Don't worry, guys. For those who are still uh, wanting and curious to know, hey, are you actually hitting those deadlines, those submission dates that you were going on about a few episodes ago? Yes, I am. Like I say, a couple of big major uh, personal issues have kind of come up, but don't worry, guys. I'll be fine working through it one day at a time and whatnot and still trying to get those submissions out there, still trying to play get them out as much as possible, hopefully find somebody that clicks. Haven't yet. I've got a couple more rejections, but that's fine because that's part of the game, man. Even the best got rejected. Even those that you you look at them now and you're like, how did anybody reject this idea? Look how popular it is. Look how beloved it is. Everybody goes through that, I guess, you know? And this is my trial by fire. This is my baptism by fire. Let's just hope that it all ends with a, a happy ending, eh? You know? But enough about that. If you have some questions, concerns, comments, or if you agree or disagree with any of my points, either from this episode or previous episodes, let me know. You can get in contact with me at Sweet Story Bro on Twitter. Hit up the official website, SweetStoryBro.com, for all your social media links and needs. Everything is there. Super easy, one-stop shop. So without further ado, 
I think let's get to the meat. Let's get to Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb. Confusing name, I know. I didn't name it. Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Second one. Now, this is exactly my kind of game, honestly. It's a third-person action-adventure with lots of exploration and a deep appreciation and integration of narrative throughout, which is something that the writer, Rihanna Pratchett, yes, daughter to Terry Pratchett of Discworld fame, was has has been very vocal about. She's done a lot of talks and she's done a lot of articles and interviews espousing how important it is and holding up stalwarts like The Last of Us and, and Games Without Ilk in order to compare it to with her basic mindset going into the original 2013 remake, Tomb Raider, and falling that over into this one, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Now, why this story in particular? Why this game? As I said, this is exactly up my street in terms of gameplay. I'm a big fan of this style of game. As you guys know, the Uncharted retrospective is on the way. This might treat this as a tease, an appetizer, an entree, if you will, into that world. Because whereas originally people were calling Lara a female Indiana Jones, people then went on to say that Nathan Drake was essentially like Lara, like Tomb Raider. Everything borrows from everything else. There's a cycle involved in a lot of writing where you borrow elements, you borrow features, and you borrow characteristics, whether that's quippy, uh, offhandedness, lighthearted way of of taking in the unrelatable adventures they find themselves, you know, these fantastic adventures that we want to believe in. And that's why we get so invested with these stories. But primarily, it's this, this marriage of narrative and gameplay that they're really trying to hammer home. And that's another thing that really interested me. I played the 2013 Tomb Raider. I really enjoyed it. I got to admit, I thought it was a a really fun game. From what I remember of the story, because it was a little while ago that I did play it, I actually thought it was pretty good. I could see that they tried, which is so still to this day quite rare. And something that's something that Rihanna actually talks about herself in numerous of the talks. She did so much research that I did for this episode. Really interesting stuff. Really interesting take on narrative story writing, and in particular narrative arc and story threads within video games from Rihanna Pratchett, who is a very prolific video game writer. She's worked on a lot of stuff that I had no idea, stuff I've played that I wasn't aware she wrote or had a hand in, like Mirror's Edge or a Heavenly Sword, things of that uh, of na- that nature. She also did Overlord, which I've not played, but I've heard good things about. So it was only natural that eventually I would want to play The Rise of the Tomb Raider. I am a PS4 owner. I do not have an Xbox One at this point in time, so... Uh, I wasn't able to play this when it was first released as a timed exclusive, which the, the very concept of just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. But eventually this came out on PS4. I didn't scoop it up straight away. Other things are happening, of course. And uh, over this Christmas, it was on sale. It was on sale, so I, I snapped up for 20 of the Queen's English pounds because despite the accent, you guys know I'm based in southeast London uh, in the UK, not London, Ontario, Canada. But... I bought it and got around to playing it. I got hurt, uh, unfortunately, recently. A uh, long, long muscle issue I've had with my heel played up. I've had this problem since I was a boy, and it laid me up, unfortunately. I was in a really bad way and a lot of pain just getting around. It was a particularly bad flare-up, one of the worst I've had in a long, long time. But what this did give me an opportunity to do was play Rise of the Tomb Raider. And the first weekend where I got a, I, I was so bad, a doctor gave me a sick note. 
So I took full advantage of that. And in the first weekend, I allowed myself to fall into a depressed cycle, a funk that I, uh, I, I got myself out of by playing Rise of the Tomb Raider. And a lot of the stuff carries over of my opinion of the first one. Really fun gameplay mechanics. But is the story, was the story of Rise of the Tomb Raider any good? Did it grip me? What were the story arcs like? How did the characters relate to not only each other, but how did I relate to them? Something so key in telling a story. How is Lara? How is her relationship with everyone around her after the events of the last game? Because this game is actually set only one year after the original Tomb Raider. One year since she first had to take a life. Now bear that in mind because it's quite important. Within the context of the timeline of these games, this happens one year after the first one year after she first has to take a life, which was a big key moment of that game. Now, here's the blo- uh, here's the blurb sorry, of this game. So for those who are unfamiliar, you can get caught up to date. For those who know, hey, here's a quick reiteration for you. My friends, my story bros, and I quote, In her first adventure, Lara Croft was forged into a true survivor, but she glimpsed a deeper, secret world. In the next chapter of her journey, Lara must use her survival skills and wits, learn to trust new friends, and ultimately accept her destiny as the Tomb Raider. Now I'm going to cut off there. There is a little bit more on the Amazon blurb, but it, it's, it's interesting. If only because, again, you talk about this mix of narrative and gameplay. That is the condensed version of what the story is trying to get across to entice you, to bring you into the world, to want to put down your hard-earned money to experience that story. The rest here is talking about the gameplay mechanics, the formula used, the actress who came in. So Camilla Luddington is back as Lara Croft. They actually name-check Rihanna Pratchett as a key member of the writing team, which is cool as well. Because on this one, they went a slightly different way just to give a little bit of context. I believe on the first game, she was uh, considered a lead writer. On this, they tried not to have a lead writer, but... Obviously, eventually within a team, somebody has to take control. I imagine she would have been that person, hence key member. And also the only reason she really gets a name uh, name check here. But that's the basis of the story. That's what we're going to be looking at. Rise of the Tomb Raider with Lara Croft. Let's get to it. What's the good? What's the bad? Where's the geeky? And is it worth your time? Is this story officially too sweet or officially just not sweet enough? My friends, buckle up. Grab some hot cocoa, grab some water, grab some whatever you want. Have a seat, or if you're driving to work, if you're commuting, listen up. We're about to get geeky in here. Let's do it. One of the most surprisingly delightful elements of this story is the fact that apart from one major misstep, in my opinion, of course, just to preface that, all of this is, of course, just my opinion. Just one guy looking at stories on a deeper level, trying to understand them, how they work, the character arcs involved, the narrative trickery that they use in order to make myself a better writer. This is all one guy's opinion. So if you agree, disagree, that's fine. That's great. That's your opinion. And you can also let me know because I'd love to know your thoughts on this story as well. And we can talk about it a little bit more in depth together. But apart from one major misstep, the pacing of this story overall is pretty good. Everything kind of moves along at a really good pace. It has that exact same forward momentum that makes Uncharted so good, where you're just kind of like, maybe just one more chapter, maybe just one more little bit, one more section, one more element, one more part of the story. But what it does so well is it gets its grips into you, 
so that every time you advance a little bit more, you want a little bit more of the story. And this is this is definitely one of the stronger elements of this game. And this is undoubtedly one of the stronger elements of this story is its pacing, its ability to get you interested in where it's going on a bigger level, right? Now, bear in mind in that is that macro. It's that bigger sense, not the micro. It is that bigger picture that this gets right. There's a lot of backstory development that's present in the game for those that are willing to seek it out, to find it, and of course to listen to it as well. Because from, again, this is not necessarily a story critique, more a gameplay technique, but I wish that you could have, every time you're listening to one of those diaries, I wish you could have gone out of that menu and continue playing the game as it played in the background as opposed to having to be on that menu listening. Because what I would do, I would just kill it and read it. No, that wouldn't take too long, but it's still kind of frustrating. I'd rather listen to it, get the acting involved because they paid for it and they're there for a reason to tell this story and still get on with the adventure. You know, go around, pick up other materials, find other, you know, supplies, whatever it happened to be. It's a shame that these elements to the game are optional. And here's why. They really help to deepen the story. They help to give it layers and texture and not only that, but also does it for the characters as well, not just Laura, because she's finding other people's journals. You get Laura's inner monologue and thoughts at a campfire, right? When you find a new base camp and you sit down, she'll either give you her thoughts on what's going on right now, or alternatively, she will summarize what's been going on. And that's a clever little technique in order to get everybody on the same page every time. It's a good little writing exercise, to be able to summarize how you got there through your main character in as quick a time as possible. Because you're not going to whack lyrical for hours and hours and hours. And I think that they, they got that writing right. Ditto with these mini um, journals that you find. Primarily for people of the past. The, the guys hunting the prophet um, set in that time. The Greeks and, and so forth. Less so with Trinity. Less so with Constantine, who's the main antagonist, along with Anna. I don't believe those that development, even through the journals, is a little bit predictable. It's a little bit boring. It's very one-dimensional. But we'll get into a lot more detail on that later. This, I think, really applies to the people that are no longer, quote, alive in the game. Um, the people who are questioning the prophet, following in the wake of the prophet, things like that, that you find in the tombs, the optional tombs. And it really helps to paint the world. And the world building in this is pretty phenomenal, honestly. Now, I've actually got a quote from Rihanna herself, Rihanna Pratchett, taken from an interview with Polygon.com, where she kind of extrapolates upon this point, where she kind of delves into the idea of using this as a storytelling technique for games. And I quote, it is a gamey conceit, in reference to the optional journals, of course. Everyone's writing down their thoughts and putting them on tables and leaving them around the game world. But there's a lot of things we accept as gamers. There are unspoken rules. All of us who worked on Rise of the Tomb Raider have gotten a lot of enjoyment out of doing secondary narrative. We're all about the inner lives of the characters. It's just getting that space to do it. Having journals lying around makes no sense outside of a game, but it's actually a very satisfying outlet for writers. It doesn't get as much focus as the main cinematic script. The main cinematic script, you'll be dealing with a lot of feedback. With the secondary things, you can explore them in a more writerly fashion, end quote. Now, what this sounds like to me 
is trying to fly under the radar to get across a lot more subtlety and character development than the main, quote, cinematic script allows for. Hmm, that's very, it's interesting. It's interesting that she would say something like that in, in reference to her own game. Now, these elements, these these notes that I've made, they do tie in quite closely together because not only is she talking about dotting many journals around the environment, she's talking about the world itself, right? She's talking about leaving specific things to be found at specific points that help to push the secondary story forward, that B narrative. And these usually round out to being antagonist motivations or later on uh, with Jonah warnings and things like that just to heighten a sense of fear and worry about the situation that you're getting into it's all very straightforward stuff it doesn't really have much subtlety to it which is why my favorite version of these within this game world was the stuff talking about the profit i think that stuff was dealt with with a deft subtlety and like i say it paints the world rather than hitting you over the head with it but the world itself the world that's developed by these guys, by Crystal Dynamics, helps to tell a great story. And it does a great job of it, right? They utilize the world as a storytelling mechanic. Everything that you see, the world just organically reveals itself. Once you play this game, if you go and play it or if you've replayed it or if this uh, Greek geek critique inspires you to experience that story... Keep in mind, keep an open mind, be actively aware of where you begin and where you end up because everything flows so smoothly overall pretty much from one step to another that you can naturally see the flow of the story because it all happens pretty much within one area, one section of the world apart from some beginning elements. And because of that, I love that there's this through line that you can essentially go backwards, Hansel not yeah, Hansel and Gretel style with breadcrumbs. And if you really wanted to, you can de- deconstruct, okay, how did I get here? It's because I went there. Why did I go there? Because this happened. There's a real cause and effect that takes place over the course of the entire story arc. On that, even some things that didn't relate to the main story, I felt compelled to experience. I accidentally, during my personal playthrough, because I downloaded it after all the DLC was out, stuff like that, I actually ended up playing one of the DLC packs without meaning to. I, I, I thought it was a side story, but I thought it would only be a quick side story, and it ended up being this Baba Yaga one, which is like a Russian witch. And that was a lot of fun. A tangent, but a lot of fun. But I felt compelled to explore. I wanted to see what this world had to offer. And the optional tombs that were presented were all extremely fun challenges, just little puzzles that all had a really great logical solution. If you're willing to apply your mind to it in order to figure out, they weren't overly complex, but they were fun. They were fun. And the good thing about it is it helps to further the world because all the archaeology involved is of that world that we're already exploring. So you can see remnants and hints of past civilizations. Again, this is world building. This is stuff you can't achieve in a more traditional narrative. Comic books, yes, you can do that. Video games, yes. Movies to a point as well, yes. But it's less tactile because in a video game, you're you're the one discovering it. But books that's the power of the imagination. You can describe it. And if you do go to the nth degree in your description, well, the, the lesson is you're probably going to bore people doing that. But here in a video game, 
you've got art departments dedicated to it, and it really does help create a cohesive sense of what you're exploring and the world unraveling and presenting itself to you as an explorer, as a Tomb Raider. Take a drink if you're playing that game every time I mention the name of what I'm looking at. Um, doing this also, and this is clever, doing this also helps to further Lara's actual character. Now, bear with me here. Here's my logic behind this point. It helps to further her character and her ability to pursue knowledge. These optional tombs, you do not have to do them, right? They're there if you choose to do them. But it is to your benefit if you do. Not only are they fun, not only are they good little puzzles, but you get something at the end of it every time as well. You open up a codex and it unlocks some sort of further understanding that helps your abilities within the rest of the game that's yet to come. But on a core character level, it's smart. She's raiding these tombs not for financial gain per se, at least not in this adventure, right? The Lara Croft we know from the first run of games from the PlayStation, that may be what she was after. That may be what she was doing, living this playgirl Bruce Wayne lifestyle. But here, she seems to be doing it just for personal gain. She's exploring these tombs, gaining information and leaving there's no real intention to come back. She's not taking anything to sell. And this allows us to get a better understanding of her character because this is an act of choice. This would have been a discussion. I've got a quote here from Rihanna Pratchett, and this is taken from an interview with YourGamer.net. And I quote, The bravery, the resourcefulness, the tenacity, everything you associate with classic Lara is all there in new Lara. It's just rewound to the point where it's bubbling to the surface and being tested. She doesn't act as the wealthy playgirl just sitting around the world and then having all the guns and gadgets to deal with things. She's different in that regard. She's more interested in archaeology for the secrets and mysteries it involves, whereas the previous Lara was in it for the sport. End quote. That is why, again, this cross-section of narrative slash character and gameplay. That's why the optional tombs work so well. Not only are they fun, not only is the game design great, but it helps further her as a character. Now, the biggest thing that I took from Rise of the Tomb Raider for my pro section, for the stuff that I, I liked about the game, I liked about the story, actually primarily, is that Lara Croft, this ties into the previous point, Lara Croft is the only majorly fleshed out character, though, and I will stress this because some might have issue with it. I don't personally. A lot of her resolve and grit is actually expressed simply via, and here we go, truth time, truth time. This is used as a storytelling technique and people might be bothered by it. Her resolve and grit is expressed and got across via beating the shit out of her with the environment, with the very world that I've been talking about that's been used to such great effect. Her reputation, how we perceive her as being tough, strong, resilient, resourceful, a badass, is because of how the writers so willingly have her get beat up thrown from mountaintops, through crevices, hitting her head, you know, things like that, falling, whacking into, into the sides of a mountain or falling from a mountain and hit, you know, cracking her shoulder or whatever it happened to be. 
And this is done quite well, again, in the same way that the Arkham series does it, where over the course of that game, Batman's suit of armor, his bat suit, will eventually get more and more damaged. You get the exact same thing here with Lara as she gets more scrapes, cuts, bruises, things like that. It's very, very subtle. It's also very, very clever in my opinion. But let's not get this mixed up, all right? She is a strong character because of this. And some might want to debase that down to a very, very distilled argument of she's a strong female character. But it was refreshing for me to find out that that wasn't one of the major things going into this. Rihanna didn't want to write a prototypical strong female character to be representative of women. She wanted to write a strong character who just happened to be a woman. And you add it to the fact that Laura is actually quite diminutive in stature. I mean, to look at her, she's probably like 5'3", five, 5'4", five, something like that maybe. And she's able to take an absolute ass kicking and keep on going. That's her deep resolve. That's her commitment to what she's trying to do. Because her motivations to go against Trinity, which is the corporation, that sort of military militia, the Russian that are out to get the divine source that Laura is chasing in order to absolve her father over the allegations that ended up with him taking his own life, or did he, dot, dot, dot. Her motivations to go against Trinity and her search for the divine source all make sense within the story that's being told, and it imbues her constantly with agency to avenge, and like I say, to absolve her father's death. Because he died in disgrace. His theory was disproved. He took a bullet to the head. He, he pulled the trigger himself, or so we're led to believe, until the very, very end. And even that, as a twist, was predictable. Incidentally, Trinity was behind it, which, re, you know, revealed as it was so late in the story, is obviously meant to propel interest into the third game that will, may, may or may not be coming out. Rihanna is not attached to that, incidentally. During my research, I found that out, that she's actually stepped away from Crystal Dynamics, stepped away from um, Tomb Raider. She's not going to be writing the third one. And she doesn't want to be what she labels as a narrative paramedic. Narrative paramedic is not really an original term. That's just taking a known term, which would in, in the movie business would be a script doctor and making it more relevant. It does sound pretty cool, though, narrative paramedic, but it's not a new role. And there are a couple of ways that she wanted to try and express Laura one year after the events of the first game, how she's evolved as a person, as a character, how certain elements of her have withered, certain elements would have died as others become stronger, because you don't go through something like that completely unchanged. And that's one of the key things going into this story is knowing that this Tomb Raider is going to be inherently different to the last Tomb Raider because, well, she's seen shit, man. You don't even know what she's seen. And she would have gone back and a lot of people may not have believed her story because of how Hocus Pocus voodoo it got. It got very supernatural by the end, from what I recall. I mean, she says this again to Eurogamer.net, quote, Uncharted has made Drake more lighthearted about it. That's murdering everyone, by the way. That's if anybody gets in your way, you shoot them in the head. With Laura, we wanted to make her care a little bit and be a bit more human in her reactions, but ultimately realize this is what she's got to do to survive and just get on with it. End quote. So the attitude going into this was writing a hardened Laura, a tougher Laura. 
where if somebody gets in your face, she knows that they're there to kill her, so she will kill them first. This only works to a certain degree, of course, because, well, the men, and incidentally, as a weird sort of side note, pretty much all of Trinity except for Anna are men, which in in terms of representation, I actually think is kind of bad. I would have thought there would have been some female mercenaries there too because all Lara is doing is she kills a lot in this game. She kills a lot, a lot. And to go from that first game moment where you can never go back and you can never take back killing somebody – and here she is, freewheeling, killing everyone. It, it it didn't really gel. It didn't really click properly. Even after a year, I don't think she would have been so okay with killing everybody. But I understand where Rihanna is coming from, especially in her juxtaposition to Drake. Because, hey, one of the things that we know about Drake is he is pretty much a very charming, very rogue, uh, roguish mass murderer. Another quote I have from Rihanna, and this one's taken from a website called TombRaiderCollection.com. And again, this is about the, characterist, uh, the character of Lara, how she's evolved, and how she wants to see her change over the course of this game. Quote, I think she's just trying to unravel the Gordian knot that her life has become. She's trying to reconcile what she saw and what she did with who she thought she was and who she might become. Laura's someone who thought her path ahead was clear, and instead, she's been violently thrown off of it. As a consequence, she's looking to her past for answers and guidance, and also seeing that in a completely new light as well. End quote. What I love about that quote is it really shows an understanding of the Lara she wants to portray. This is not the same Lara from the first wave of PlayStation games. She's not quipping. She's not having fun. Something she actually, that's Rihanna, made numerous points of with her interviews. This is not the same Lara. This is a, you know, gritty is a very common word thrown around now, but this is obviously gritty reboot, gritty take on it. And even that being said, the Lara in the first game was more innocent not by the game's end. She becomes broken and different, and, but stronger in some ways. This is a PTSD Lara that we're talking about. This is after the event and, and dealing with the aftermath of that. It's interesting as well, one of the major elements in this story, one of the major themes, which I think is quite... It's not good. It's just kind of there. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm sort of indifferent to it, which is, in, which is why the, thematically it didn't really make my pro column. The, the themes of religion are prevalent, stigmata as well. Purpose is a big one, which uh, if you are able to read my book, Temporary, when it's on shelves one day, um, you'll see purpose is a very big thing and is a very huge, huge theme to tackle, but it's one of my favorite to discuss and read about and explore and try to understand. And that's one that's given here. Her purpose as a croft carries her forward, especially in relation to the relationship that exists between her and her father. And it's interesting as well because to juxtapose reality and art imitating life, Laura Croft is the daughter of renowned historian uh, Lord Croft, who dies in disgrace. She has a big shadow to step out of because of it in order to cut her own path and make her own name. And Rihanna Pratchett, I imagine would be going through a very similar journey to that, just replace history and archaeology with writing. 
And you can kind of see why she makes such a great natural fit in the very first instance for this reboot. Just a little bit of a personal uh, flavor for you guys going forward with this story. Because when I found that out, when I found out that she was related to Pratchett, um, my mind was not blown. My mind wasn't blown, but I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea that she was a writer or that he had, firstly, that he had a daughter, let alone that she was a writer and within video games. And video games that I played, no less. I thought that was very cool. But it's not all good. Like with every story, like I keep saying, there are the good parts. There are some bad parts as well. These are all personal opinions. So keep your questions till after class and then feel free to tweet at me at SweetStoryBro or email me at SweetStoryBro at iCloud.com to let me know what you thought. If you're an impassioned Tomb Raider fan, I want to know what you think. So here we go. I've listed out to you the things I enjoyed. Let's talk a little bit about the things I wasn't so hot on. Now, you'll remember me saying that I really enjoyed the pacing of the story, that I think that that through line works pretty well throughout, that you can track yourself back and see how you got there and, and things like that. It's a really naturally progressive story, and it works because of that, but it does have plotting issues. Now, what I mean by that is the major plot elements, where they're placed slightly, there's one major issue that I have with it. Okay, just just one. One major plotting issue that does speak to a bigger problem, because I was quite effusive with my praise earlier. And if you remember, the very, very first point I made in this Geek Critique was, apart from one major misstep... The pacing of the story is pretty good. This is the major misstep. The problem is it's so major, it really bugged me. Jonah, her friend, the guy who came with her, survived through the first adventure, had her back for the second adventure. They get separated as they're climbing up the, the icy mountains very early on in the game, and then he disappears. And he disappears for maybe half the game before being reintroduced. Honestly, reintroducing Jonah halfway only to have him extracted by Trinity and then needing rescue in the first portion of Act 3 just rang totally hollow for me. All right? So the major jeopardy, the low point, is being reintroduced to him and then having him be taken. Right? That's the low point of this story that turns us into Act 2. And at that point, we start building up again. There's uh, some minor obstacles to get over before we then flung full force into the major final parts of the story. This didn't work for me because I felt zero connection to Jonah as a character. I'll be honest, I forgot he was in the first game until I started doing the research on this one. And that's not a comment on the first game's quality. It's just been a while since I've played it. So it's dimmed slightly in my, my mind grapes, if you will. But we don't know him. If this is your first, if you didn't play Tomb Raider and you came to this new version of Lara through Rise of the Tomb Raider because it was new and then on your radar, you don't know Jonah. You haven't played the first one. How have you got any sort of backstory? Or if you're like me, you don't remember. The urgency to care about his character isn't there. And so for Lara... Yes, they have a pre-existing relationship that's not fleshed out on screen, not developed in the time we see them together. There's very little to, reason to care. 
about his extraction and subsequent uh, stabbing by Constantine in the interrogation room. It was a tough one for me because I just thought that it was a plotting misplacement. It should have come a little earlier and then we could have been introduced heavily into the Trinity stuff a little bit earlier too. Just make Jonah a little bit more prevalent in their relationship together, more obvious, so that I have a reason to care about wanting to rescue him, which was sorely missing during the entire rescue portion, that beginning of Act 3. Rihanna has this to say, and this is taken from an interview with a website called themarysue.com, who we've used before on this very podcast. And I quote, it's a long one, so strap in. It's a hard thing to balance, that story versus game, because elements like violent gameplay, high body counts, health pack healing, constant enemy chatter, collectibles, etc. add a fantastical underpinning that is inherently unrealistic. Yet players often accept them as a given. In fact, they often desire them because they can be great fun. But it's tough to set a realistic and grounded story against gameplay that is anything but that. And it needs to be in some regards. Otherwise, Lara probably would have died in that opening cave. It sometimes feels like the more we focus on character and relatability, the more we expose how much gameplay can be in odds with that. Thinking about narrative earlier on and having a strong commitment to creating a harmonious rather than antagonistic relationship between gameplay and narrative is the only way we're going to get over this lack of cohesion. Story needs to be entwined with gameplay, not wrapped around it, end quote. And this is why I attach this quote to this point. You've just come out of a major battle. You've helped um, Jacob and his people survive the onslaught of Trinity. That's the halfway point. And then the the aftermath is sort of the resolution of that before we build up to this point, which leads into Jacob Sorry, Jonah being taken hostage by Trinity at the end of Act 2. But these are fighting moments. These are battle elements. And it's systemic to the problem because you're not meeting that harmony that she's driving for. Given the research that I've done and what we've spoken about, it feels like the gameplay, the game developers led Jonah to be kidnapped and she had to write around that. And that's my take on this because it's pretty narratively weak and it's a really odd misstep in what is otherwise a pretty, pretty well-paced game. It's this lack of connection that exists between Jonah and Lara and unfortunately it permeates other relationships that exist within this world. Lara, of course, being the key denominator here. Right? She exists with every other relationship. We exist and experience this story through her at every twist and turn. And her lack of connection is just as prevalent with every other character she interacts with. That extends to her stepmother, stepgirl, like father's girlfriend, Anna, to Jacob. Both Jacob and Jonah are a problem here. Their lack of connection to them really stimmies the story. Sure, it's moving along at a good clip. Things are being revealed pretty well, apart from that one misstep, in my opinion, like I say. But Jacob especially is an issue, considering he turns out to be the prophet. He turns out to be the deathless prophet that we've been reading all about, which is a nice little twist, but it, it loses its luster. It loses its impact because of the lack of connection that we have. I mean... One thing that really bothered me, actually, from the presentation standpoint, from this idea of creating a truly cohesive world, that extends to the culture. And the culture of the villagers and Jacob is very jarring. 
for a very simple reason. Why the fuck are Jacob, his daughter Katniss, sorry, Sophia, who let, let's face it, is basically Katniss, and his people, the rest of the village that have lived there their whole lives, from what I understand of the story, why are they American? Why do they have American accents? Their accents really do a good job of taking you completely out of the story. And it's a real shame. It's something that was totally avoidable. It's a really odd choice, but it just jars you. The only reason I can see this being the decision made was literally to make it easier for an American audience, which is a damn shame because they've missed this. They've missed a step by creating a culture and allowing us to integrate them properly with the accents that would be appropriate for where the region that they live within instead making everything American to make it easier for an American audience. No, I don't like that. And on that note, as a really subtle sort of aside, as a base survival question here, real quick for you guys, is wandering around like is wandering around in the dark with a glow stick the best way to not attract attention to yourself? You know, predatory attention, both animal and human. This is littered with kind of like minor silly choices that you would have thought that a one year in Tomb Raider like Lara would know better. Survival basics. If you're hiding, if you don't want to be seen, if you're trying to camouflage yourself, maybe don't light that glow stick or flare. Hmm? Maybe. Inconsistencies to the sense that they're trying so hard to develop. Now we're moving on to the heavy hitters, the bigger points, the bigger things I have problems with, okay? Underdeveloped, underwhelming, predictable enemies, and their evil motives. Trinity which exists as an ancient, old uh, organization, which has evolved into a sort of military operation, Constantine's zealous belief in what he's doing due to the stigmata in his hands where he woke up one day with that and was set on a religious quest for this, the divine source. He believes it is destiny. Anna's childhood trickery. She was the one that carved the stigmata into Constantine's hands, giving him cause, giving him purpose again there's that theme again probably one of the main themes of rise of the tomb raider that doesn't make sense to me because firstly you find that out through majorly through one of those optional journals that i was talking about earlier but also if somebody's fucking jabbing something into both of your palms i would have thought you would have woken up and he was a small child already complaining apparently about being scared about having a lack of purpose so he has thought he's able to wake up and talk Yet he sleeps through being jabbed through by his sister. That shit doesn't wash with me. All those elements I've just listed, they're easy, they're tropish, they're lazy, and ultimately, this is probably the worst thing, the, the biggest problem with it, it's boring. It is boring, man. We've seen this story before. We've seen it done better in a lot of cases. But this seems so cookie-cutter that it hurts. Rihanna says this with an interview with Telegraph.co.uk, quote, You are constantly pulled between the needs of narrative, the needs of gameplay, and the needs of the player to have an entertaining experience playing your game, end quote. Here's why that matters. Here's the context as to why I chose it. A lot of the times, despite the good pacing, the characteristics, the character relationships, the motives and agency outside of Lara, they all exist to serve the gameplay. 
that pushes the story forward from one action set piece to another without doing enough to give us a reason to care about it, without giving us a reason to really invest in them as villains or as good guys. And again, this is for everyone but Lara. Lara does get the star treatment. It is her game after all. And she doesn't really suffer because of it. It's the relationships that exist between everybody else with Lara that's the problem. And the biggest problem that I have with this game, the biggest problem I have with this story, is that Rise of the Tomb Raider is an unoriginal amalgamation of other stories' major moments. All the really cool stuff, all some of the best stuff that happens from a storytelling plot-wise standpoint, as opposed to pacing or world development and things like that, just to separate it in our heads for a second, you've seen it before and you've seen it done better. Right, The revelation of the village in between the valley, followed by an underground city where Hidden MacGuffin, the divine source, is straight out of Uncharted 2 among thieves with the protectors that exist within Shambhala. It's an, odd, it's an obvious juxtaposition to something that did it better and is made all the more obvious because it's a video game in the exact same vein. There's lots of others that have done it too. Movies have done this. Opening the divine source... Opening up, seeing it, but not gazing upon it, looking away, is so Raiders, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is so Raiders, it hurts. When I first saw it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, are they, are they for real? All of this, and you finally clamber up, and Anna just digs it out of the ground, and Laura looks, takes it, looks away, and then smashes it to the ground. Of course, the hold that it had over, over every man there that was present because the army that's there the deathless army is one that jacob helped to cultivate he thought that these were loyal to him loyal to his cause but they turned mad in doing so it took their souls it took their humanity and yet didn't do it to jacob for some reason and as soon as it was smashed it's like the spell was released and they all aged incredibly quickly jacob turning to dust in laura's hands seen it before not every story is going to be not every story is going to be completely original. I get that. Not every story is going to blow you away with its originality. But there are still cool ways that you can express old ideas. And I think the biggest problem that I have with this story is that this doesn't do it. It takes ideas that other other mediums have done before and have done better. And it kind of washes it down a little bit. The emphasis isn't there. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of development between characters. I didn't care about Jacob. I didn't care about Jonah. The only one I really cared about was Lara. And even then, it was just about her surviving the climbs that she was in, the environment she was in that toughened her. Can she get through this adventure? Can she get through this ordeal and end up home and safe? That is what I cared about, seeing her through that. Her relationship with Anna... Anna's heel turn during the interrogation scene was so fucking signposted and obvious. It had no impact. And I think ultimately that's the biggest problem throughout, that all the major twists, all the major turns, all the major moments lack impact. Allow me to summarize my thoughts here. Rise of the Tomb Raider tries hard. It tries so, so hard. And in a lot of ways, it gets a lot right. The environments, the locations, the sense of exploring a lived-in world are all beautifully executed. The world that Lara moves through, it feels alive. It feels real. 
And that's a huge accomplishment, especially in how they utilize these elements to help further Lara as a character, as a person. Even if the majority of her development, as I said, you know, think resolve, toughness, grit, is done via using that exact same environment to beat the shit out of her. Her ability to survive, however, simply highlights how strong she is as a person. I say this not as a gender issue, but from a critique of pure character, of merit. Rihanna Pratchett, who I mentioned earlier, is the daughter to Terry Pratchett, had this to say on dealing with gender and ideas of feminism and representation. I just wanted to include this because there's a great lesson in here for every writer to absorb going forward. And I quote, and incidentally, this is taken from Polygon.com. We always thought of Lara as being a person first and a gender second. By and large, this is what you need to do with all characters. It's not to say gender isn't a factor. For example, when I was writing her interactions with her friends, how she interacts and talks with them feels very much like a female friendship. It has elements that maybe if it were two male characters would be written differently. They might be acting differently. It absolutely comes into play, but it's not the first thing that's thought of. You just work with an interesting character, and then you can play around with gender and see what adds to it. End quote. That's great. It's a shame, then, that the majority of every other character relationship and development pale in comparison to hers. I'd go so far as to say that pretty much every relationship that exists in this game is flawed, if barely existent, with any discernible depth. Jonah and Lara have minimal screen time, yet we're expected to invest in him. Jacob and his subsequent reveal as the Deathless Prophet, we've been reading about all this time, it feels unearned and it feels empty. He doesn't even fit with the rest of his people's aesthetics, which makes him stand out all the more. He's clearly too young to have an adult daughter in the Sophia Katniss character hybrid, and he bears no face tattoos like the rest of his people. He's thematically incongruent with what they've crafted, and it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's dissonant. A mess of minor issues that add up with odd character decisions and cookie-cutter antagonistic motives, Rise of the Tomb Raider's best bits all come from other sources that came before and did it better. Even the post credit stinger to wrap up Anna as a loose end and propel it into a third game is also a storytelling misstep. It feels tacked on hoping in vain to generate interest rather than the apathy it's met with. It became apparent during my research for this episode that there's still a lot of difficulty for writers being heard early on in the game development process. The writer of this game, Brianna, espoused this time and time again, highlighting how she appreciated that things were, generally speaking, done differently for both Tomb Raider games. She says this to Eurogamer.net, quote, I've been open about the fact I wasn't into the father storyline to start with, but eventually found peace with it, and I think we did some good things with it. When you're talking about teams of hundreds of people, you are really a cog in the machine. The narrative team is important, but so are all the other teams as well, and they're all fighting for space and agency and budget and time and everything else, end quote. Other things are more important than the key narrative that are being told when it comes to a game a lot of the time. It's interesting to note that as an industry, games almost trivialize the role of the writer, bringing them in late into the production process to craft dialogue and develop character relationships properly, etc. It honestly seems completely backwards and counterproductive to create an amazing experience. Notice that I say experience and not just game, not just story, because it's the experience that gamers want. 
If you can marry the two in a way that something like The Last of Us, Life, Extra- uh, Life is Strange, etc., that they're able to achieve, you're able to create something truly memorable that no other medium can replicate. Now, let me stress at this point, Rise of the Tomb Raider is actually a really fun game to play. The controls are tight, if not overly familiar. The environments are great to navigate, and the optional tombs are all wonderfully created with reasons to explore them. It's a solid game. It is. But to analyze just the story, which won a BAFTA, incidentally, for outstanding achievement in video game writing... To analyze just the story, to determine whether it's worth your time, simply from a narrative standpoint, Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, is officially just not sweet enough. A fun game to play, but a mediocre story that borrows its best moments from somewhere else. And that's going to do it for another episode of Sweet Story, bro. Thank you so much for listening, as always, for downloading this podcast to your podcast listening device of choice and putting my sweet, sultry voice in your ears to engage with these geeky stories on a deeper level to understand what works, what doesn't work, what's good, what's bad, and why. What was the motivation behind these choices? Be sure to let me know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, email, wherever you want, really. You can find all those social media links at one handy one-stop shop. That's sweetstorybro.com, the official website for this podcast, sweetstorybro.com. And you know what else is there? Up top, an Amazon link. So if you're doing any of your Amazon shopping, don't go to amazon.co.uk, whatever. Go to the website, click on the link at the top. It takes you exactly to the same place. You're not paying a penny or cent more. Mm-mm, not a zip, zippo, nothing. But you're helping the show because a small percentage comes back to alleviate costs. We put it into server costs. We put it into new equipment, cables, whatever it happens to be. It's all thanks to you. Once again, you hit the link at the top of the page, Amazon link. You don't pay any more and you're helping out the show. Win, 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 man. Everybody's a winner. And I'll tell you what, if you like the show, why not leave a tip? At the top of the website is also a donation button. If you enjoy the research that goes into these shows, the time spent understanding the writing craft, it helps me, it helps you, and it, it, it's just fun to engage with it. It really is, but it's time. It's research. And I hope that you get this condensed version of this. You get the final version of it. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you do, and I hope you get something out of it. If you're a writer who wants to understand you know, the processes and creative choices, maybe this has helped you a little bit. If you're just a fan of the game that wanted to engage and understand it on a deeper level outside of, that was really good, now to move on to something else, I hope you got something out of that too. Two ways you can donate. Hit up paypal.me slash sweetstorybro, paypal.me slash sweetstorybro, or like I said, official website, sweetstorybro.com. There's the donate button right there, my friend. Couldn't be easier. Couldn't be simpler to show your appreciation. Show your appreciation for the show, the research that goes into it, man. I know I'd appreciate it. So that's it. As always, be sure to share the show with your story-loving friends. Share the love. Spread the conversation. Until next time, be sure to keep your eyes on the Twitter, at Sweet Story Bro, because you know this is bi-weekly. When there's not a show going up, we spend that money t- that Monday telling you what the next story is going to be. So you can read, you can watch, you can play, whatever that story happens to be, so it's spoiler-free for you by the time it releases the Monday after. Some people care about that. If you don't, hey, no problem. Just make sure you download it and listen to it. Get in contact and let me know what you think. And this is probably the most important part, man. I know I've had a blast talking about Rise of the Tomb Raider. 
It's a fun game with a flawed story. Uh, if you check it out, or if you're a fan of it already, let me know what you thought. Let me know what you think about my points. And until next time, until next time, man, don't beat yourself up. Life can be hard enough as it is without you constantly going on it yourself. Believe me, I know. I'm, I'm probably one of the most guilty for it. So take the time, chill out, have a Coke, have a Pepsi, have some wine, have whatever helps you relax. And I implore you to go enjoy some stories. I'm out.